Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscato, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got game him. Winning. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the Uh, hello? Bueller. Bueller, Bueller. It's Sandos in the. Don't do it. If you value our partnership, don't do it. We've been putting it in together five years. Don't do it, Mike. Don't, don't do it, Mike. Dude, who's there? Why'd you do it, Mike? Why? Why? To humiliate me? Boring. For what? No, no, mm -mm. Mm -mm. no, 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 no. Hell no! 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 I refuse! No! No! On the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday. Jake Sandoz with you. And uh, do not have a sidekick. Got a tag team partner. That's right. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen on social media and you are unaware of the new hire at East Tennessee State University, and it is uh, a retreat. Can I call you a retreat? That sounds bad. That that does sound bad. Yeah. If you, if you come up with something better, let me know. Um, uh, second stint. Prodigal know, son. Prodigal son. Whoa, coming in hot. But it's Keith Brake, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Keith worked with us for four years. Uh, then he uh, branched out, went to IMG. It was still was still was it was it, it was IMG, IMG College then? at the time. All right. Yeah. Then uh, were you there for the merger? We were. I was. Gone? I was gone. I was gone. After it got mergered. Okay, yeah. so IMG College, right, just up the road, Winston Salem, doing some gigs, and then got the uh, stint at North Dakota State. So most mm -hmm. of our folks, uh, at least, have heard the name. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been on the podcast. We've talked about you, if nothing. And else. you've been on my show. Steve Forbes was on my show um, during the pandemic, which was a really interesting conversation, and I love talking to him. And glad to see him have good success at Wake Forest. And uh, Randy Sanders has been on the show. Of course, has since retired, obviously. But um, you know, ETSU has been very relevant in the world of mid-major athletics for the last few years. So I had a lot of reason to talk about him in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, glad to be able to uh, maintain those ties a little bit. And now, obviously. Here we are, you know, back back, uh, back together. All, all I can say is, Devon, get the tables. <laughs> Love it. So that's the good thing I enjoy is that me and Mike Gallagher would make random wrestling references. There and you now go. I can uh, keep that alive. The Dudley boys, man, were something. They were something. I love those guys. Uh, I just like they had the same mother. I don't know if you knew that about the, uh, the backstory of the Dudley I did not. brothers. So there's like I, eight uh, of them. I, don't know if I, I figured they both had the same favorite football team, the Buffalo Bills. Mm, that's fair, too. You know who also has a favorite football team, the Buffalo Bills? Desmond Oliver. You know who hates really? all of yeah. that is me uh, as a good New England Patriot fan. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Des. So I don't know if Des is jumping through a table, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got practice today, so depending on day two practice goes in. We could do that a little bit earlier this year, maybe have some early practice reports. Uh, we certainly have fans um, – that are obviously ETSU fans, but maybe lean a little more towards basketball than they do football. We have some that lean more football than basketball. That being said, we're going to continue a podcast. I've said that from day one once Mike turned it in and we did the ode to Mike when he left. Is We'll do a podcast. I said it could be a different form, could be a different format, could be uh, obviously a different name. I think we've settled on, on Jane Keith unless the uh, masses out there have come up with something different. The problem is, and here's where we ran into it, uh, the JK, which we were pretty dead set on, has about 27, my last count, different podcasts that either had either the, the letters JK, J space K, J and K, J hyphen K, J backslash K. So there's plenty of those out there. So, so, the, so J ampersand K, did uh, you have that one? I've not. I, you know, I didn't look at that one. What if we spelled uh, out ampersand? J ampersand K. Well, then, I mean, who can spell that? Have you met me? No, well, it's I mean, been, it's yeah. been a while. It's been you a can't. While. You you can't spell my name. So no, that's true. That's true. I cannot spell your name. I can't spell my name. 
in case uh, people haven't seen that as well. So uh, we're going to go with Jay and Keith now. For those of you that subscribe and are concerned about uh, that, I did check with uh, Apple and uh, the podcast uh uh, sort of the URL that we use, and it's just a way I tag it on the back end, so it shouldn't change anything. Even if there's a name change, it will be uploaded to the same thing. You'll get the same alerts. You'll be able to listen. Now, there is going to be a lot of constants that we have going on. Certainly, we're going to break down ETSU athletics at nauseum because that's what we're paid to do in general, so that's mm-hmm. what we're going to do. Uh, we will continue to uh, – now, we, I've taken a step back from some stuff we've done with uh, players and coaches. We're going to bring more interviews with players and coaches, coordinators, different sports not just football basketball uh we will be diving into all the other sports there's 19 sports um at etsu that we sponsor so clearly we'll dive into those sports we will talk a lot southern conference because Mm -hmm. it's the league we're in and we have to and we need to and uh, honestly i still think we're pretty well versed in every team and almost every sport as well and then we'll dive more into we did a lot of top 25 type national stuff but want to lean on keith while we got him because you know he was there in the missouri valleys near the big sky he saw all that football up close and personal and um, made more than a few trips to frisco yeah yeah and a lot of national championships uh, to boot but for the most part just seeing all those teams being in, in golf kind of there um and not to keith didn't obviously pay attention to his alma mater at ETSU because he would text me a lot during those games and during the you know the Big South and mm-hmm. the now A Sun that has kind of jumped back in the 4A and Ohio Valley and all the other things that are going on. Um, so that being said, we will do all of that. We will uh, invent our own fun segments. That's one thing me and Mike try to do to entertain ourselves. Uh, hopefully, uh, you folks. Um, uh, enjoyed some of the fun things we came up with, but yeah. uh, we'll try to come up with some fun segments. It's kind of we take ownership of and and do some, and we'll retread some stuff. So that's the gist of I guess I forget anything. Is there any segments or show ideas that mm. uh, we talked about that I have forgotten? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. On air. I, I, what, one thing I know is that I have a lot of strong opinions loosely held. I feel like that's the healthiest way to go about it. Is I have I have very firmly formed opinions but I am open to being convinced to change my mind. Wow. That's something me and Mike were not. Uh, we, had, no, we had a lot of opinions. But I don't know that we I seen the hot take board. You definitely had a lot of opinions. We have a lot, <laughs> we have a lot of opinions. That's why, it's the hot that's take why, board. That's why bold predictions will go on. The hot take board, for those who don't know what this is, apparently Gallagher was in charge of it, and it is the size of like, – it is bigger than any TV I have in my house. In, in Fargo, which is still there. Like, I still have my house in Fargo, but I'm not going to have it much longer, hopefully. Um, by the way, if you're looking... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> if you're moving, yeah, he's got uh, It is bigger. It's probably about... I mean, TV measurement, right? What's a, what, what do you think is a big TV? Uh, 55 inches, I 60 think, I, inches? I think you could probably go between 55 and 60 is probably a common size most people have in their house. That's bigger. The hot take board is bigger than that. And it is full of Gallagher. Gallagher had a Timberwolves finals take, which I think is unhinged. Uh, there are a few of you. There was a lot of Kevin Brown, the sports information, the SID here at, at ETSU. A lot of Kevin Brown hot takes. How often has he been on this show to spout off hot takes? I want to know. Well, but it's not not a lot. Um, you know, he's got because he's he, got he is, lots he is, of. He is kind of an angry. He's he's a man very he's at a, times. He's a pas- he's a passionate man. He's a passionate man, is what he is. Very intense, very committed to his sports takes, which largely revolve around mediocre Midwestern sports teams. Agreed. <laughs> And college basketball takes. That's, he does have some. He does, that, that, you know, his college basketball takes are better than his that's, baseball and, that's and football his, takes. That's his bread and butter, is yeah. uh, college hoops being the DePaul grad. And uh, I think I got him a few years ago when they were they didn't win a game in the uh, Big East. And I told him that, you know, ETSU would yeah. be better than that. And he goes, well, you wouldn't win a game in Big East. I said, yeah, two. We'd beat DePaul twice. And then uh, you know, I don't think he liked that too much. So. Uh, yeah, so there it's we go. One. So a lot of things going on. That's what we're going to do. Um, today's show probably not going to be as long as some of the other ones, but um, we can go as long as you want, bud. I'm used to talking for two hours a day nonstop. So. Yeah, well, and the good news is is I've been talking to myself a lot, so I'm just excited to talk to somebody because uh, 
It's more fun, more entertaining. I can. I mean, I like talking to me, but you can't just t- you can't just fire off sports takes to the kids while you're taking them to football practice. <laughs> I mean, I could. Um, Who says they have to understand it? I barely understand you half the time. Well, so no, what, what, what's the difference? No, no, I'm, I know. I mean, I I am not going to argue that is a valid point. Um, I think it's better though, especially when breaking down a game. I think it's a little better to bounce something off to sure. see, you know, what it is. And speaking of that, breakdown. Five. And this is a ear breakdown. No. One day. And the sidekick. Oh, we are working on the intro. You said, you said a dirt. You said the dirty word. You said the S word. Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, uh, so let's break down um, uh, ETSU Robert Morris. I think the number one question everyone had going into that had to deal with offensive line and how they were going to play. And I will just say this. Whenever Eric Campbell blocked the punt and Harold O'Neill eventually got the ball, then had it knocked out of his hands and eventually fell on the ball for a touchdown, then – the whole game swung to the point of where I think ETSU could have ran any play and scored about 50 at that point in time. But I thought after that play, they got a three and out. And an ETSU and Tyler Rodell, we heard from Coach George Corals last night, was able to check in a couple of those runs. It was a six-play, 75-yard drive. There were five runs. Jacob Sailors, there was the uh, little seam route they threw to uh, the backup tight end, Jalen Frierson. But it was pretty much all run Sailors, and it was a very dominant offensive line. Now, Robert Morris off defensive line is not going to be Chattanooga. We're going to get into Chattanooga who has the best defensive line, bar none, the best NFL prospect of anybody in the league on the defensive line. So we'll get into that later. But for what the game was supposed to be, mm-hmm. and this is a situation where ETSU hasn't always fit the role of, hey, go in there and blow them out. It's, well, we're going to win, but it's going to be by a score or two. They were able to do something they've not done a lot of, which is blow a team out. There was no uh, pulling teeth to get this done. That was That's the most important thing for me. And, um, you know, you could see Joe Schreiber at Media Vales yesterday had a, a lot of confidence. He had a lot of confidence on Monday. And I think that whole group, when you go in there, and I don't care who it is. Listen, Robert Morris is still a program that is building to the standard, the typical standard of FCS football. This is a team that was in the Northeast Conference, and they had 40 scholarships, and the NEC capped itself at 40 scholarships for a long time. And now they are trying to build up to 63. They're not there yet. So you're really kind of in a position where you're between Division II and FCS with the scholarship count. Um, Regardless of that, going in there and bullying a team around at the line of scrimmage the way that ETSU's offensive line did in the first half on Saturday is a great way to build confidence. And that really seems to me like the thing this offense in particular needs the most is confidence. And it turned into, I mean, special teams made the play that got things going. The offense felt good. The defense started making some more high-impact plays. The kind of things that Billy Taylor want has been wanting them to do, you know, generating more takeaways, getting a couple interceptions, setting the team up with some short fields that the offense was able to cash in on with Sailors in the ground game. Uh, everybody worked really well together, but the offense was the group that needed that boost of confidence confidence in this new scheme under uh, Adam Neugebauer and uh, and George Quarles and I think they got it on Saturday and it, it's finally a moment where things started to click now we're going to learn in a big way on Saturday how much things have clicked but it really feels like this group has started to coalesce under a more or less brand new coaching staff I think the Encouraging thing was when they were able to blow somebody out and do so by halftime to arrest everybody. Yeah, agreed. Felt like everybody, you know, they've not been able to get a lot of guys some snaps. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about, you know, Brock Landis and, and uh, the, some of the defensive guys. But there's some offensive line that if, you know, one injury here, there you go down. They're deep at line, but they're not game experienced. And right. something goes down in the fourth quarter, those guys' first snap they've ever seen then comes into there. Certainly that's not a, 
a good sign. We know the running backs have been banged up because at the Citadel did not have Bryson Irby, didn't have Juwan Martin, didn't have Trey Foster, still didn't have Trey Foster last game. But getting a young freshman like Amir Dendy some carries, getting Bryson Irby some carries, Adrian Johnson got some carries. You know, third and fourth string tight ends were able to get in the game. Besides mm-hmm. the offensive lineman, a third center was able to snap the football. Again, injuries happen in football. You've got to be prepared for that. Defensively, most teams rattle off 20 to 25 guys defensively. It's yep. pretty normal, whether it's just a sub in the defensive line, some of the different sub packages. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, a, you know, backup safety will get a series in there, whatever it is. But generally speaking, most teams – that I prepare for and get a chance to watch. I've got to prepare for 20 to 25 defensive guys that are going to play snaps, not one or two, but play snaps. So offensively, though, I think it's harder to do that. It's harder just to take an offensive lineman out, you know. Yes. Yeah, maybe you could put an extra slot receiver in and get them a play or two here or there, but it's hard. To, so to able to start the second half, get those quality reps in, I know it resulted in just a field goal and no points, but ETSU was still able to move the football. They were able to get the guys some on-the-job training and, more importantly, able to get it against somebody that wasn't their own teammate. Mm-hmm. They were able to play against somebody, work some things out. I thought one of the things, and, of course, Mark Kutzel, if you listen to the broadcast, was uh, didn't like throwing the ball up uh, for the touchdown there right at the halftime to go up 42 nothing. Felt like they should have just you know went kind of a medium-range kick a field goal, work on situational stuff, which I get either way of it. Mm-hmm. The big thing I thought, though, was a confidence builder because I didn't know Tyler Rydell could throw a strike from 55 yards <laughs> down the field. The other thing is is there were very few plays where they didn't, and they were even double-teaming a Nosh Carter there. They double-teamed Will Huzzy a lot. They mm-hmm. double-teamed a Nosh Carter, which meant the run game was there. If they run the football, they probably thought, well, we've seen ETSU's line, not be able to run the football. But if they're able to run the football, you're able to get some things going. But the execution for ETSU – is really um, in the first half of the first team what I, I was really excited to see. I know the first drive was a three and out. Then they moved the football to midfield on the second drive. Uh, a negative play kind of backed them up. Then they never picked up the first down. Not sacked at all during the game. Mm-hmm. Big gaping holes for, for Sailors. They are allowing now Tyler Rydell to check out of different mm-hmm. run fronts. I think that's important because that's what he did for Coach Sanders. Now, I, they're not – running anything remotely close to what Coach Sanders did. Right. Um, but if you can use his strength of he understands defense, he can put you in the right play. If he can do that yep. and and then build off the play action, throw some other things, that's really where Tyler Rodale is going to be successful. And I think the fact that he's doing that now suggests that uh, after all of the practice and all of the games that he's been through, he's now starting to get comfortable with this scheme enough that he knows what's going to work in a given situation and what's not. And you have to, it's it's like Luke going to Dagobah. You must unlearn what you have learned. When you learn a whole new offense, you have to relearn a lot of how all of the pieces fit together. And some guys can pick that up in a week and some guys need to see it on film in live game reps and live it before they know what's going to work, what makes sense, what doesn't. You and I have talked about this before. Tyler is a player who is like he lives in the game. Like when he he learns best when he puts the helmet on and he lines up in a live situation with another team that's going to knock the snot out of him if he makes a mistake on the other sideline. Uh, that is when he learns his best. Some people are really good in the lecture setting, right? Some people are good at, at, at lectures. They take diligent notes. They listen atten- intently. And some people, they learn it kind of when, when the test is in front of them. And, and Tyler is one of those guys that learns when the test is right in front of him. And um, that is something that you need a couple games to really get comfortable with what you're doing. And he had way more time going into last year with with the fall 2021 you know he had the whole spring to kind of get a feel for what randy wanted him to run and what mike Rader wanted him to run and now with a new offensive coordinator new head coach guys that are very hands-on with the offense you got to relearn those things and when you're a guy that relearns things in a game situation you need games to get comfortable with it. If he's comfortable now checking the team into different fronts moving protections doing different stuff that bodes really well for ETSU in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think as he gets more comfortable with the offense, and I think that's the that's really the hard part to to learn on a 
curve that way because it is a different system. And I know a lot of times for some fans, not I think not a majority of fans, but there's some fans like, you know, you hand it off, you throw it, how hard is it? You know what I mean? Like, is it, there's a route here, there's a route there. Well, there's different concepts, and we heard from Jacob Saylor's week one. Hey, I was running the ball the way the old system was. So on a certain play, I'm looking to run it here instead of doing this which and, is and over here is where the hole is schemed to be right yes and it's and it's it's total it's it is a it's it doesn't even have to be a big adjustment for it to be a, a, an adjustment you know like to to change your tendencies as a runner to fit the scheme you're being asked to execute you know if it's an outside zone play where they're trying to get outside the tackle it's one thing but if hey you're supposed to Take a few steps, you know, get to the sideline, and then and then mm-hmm. once you get even with the tackle, put your foot in the ground and go, you know, because we're going to backside block the linebacker there, and that should be where the hole is. Like, there's certain things that go. There's certain progressions that a uh, play mm-hmm. or a pass is designed that you need to go through, and those progressions could be different, and those can even differ between games. We learned from Randy Sanders, like, hey, you know, the first couple times we run this play and we show teams, we want the first, you know, read to be over here. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to run the same play, you know, in week four, but that's going to be our last read. We're going to go to the other side, you know. Yeah. So there's little games within a game that – you know, a quarterback specifically has to know. And for Rydell, it's not only that, everything's working faster, right? They're not huddling. Mm-hmm. They used to huddle. That was a thing. So we know Rydell can handle information because Randy Sanders would send in a couple different plays. Mm-hmm. And then there are checks to those different plays. So there's three, four plays Rydell had access to on everything. So yep. as the this three, four game has gone along, we are learning that they are trusting him more. Like, hey, you know, if we give him, you know, Here's the play. Mm-hmm. But if you see a certain front, you see whatever, we don't want to do that. We want to do this. And he's right. able to check out of that and get in the right plays. That's where ETSU is going to be successful. Now, I think Adam Nugabauer would love to be more vertical in the passing game. And like all offense coordinators, right? When you're yeah, I mean, and, and especially when you have a receiver like Huzzy. Huzzy is – listen, I, I watch this guy play, and, and I think there are two or three teams in the SOCON that, that can legitimately take the top off a of defense. And ETSU is one of them. And – Will Huzzy is one of the best deep threats in the country. I, I watch that guy. I see his size, his speed. He can go up and win the football. Um, I would trust him down the sideline 105 times out of 100. I, the guy just has the it factor that you're looking for in that X receiver that can win down the boundary, and that's where you hit you know, your play-action shots. That's where the deep ball's going to go more often than not is to a guy like that. And I love watching him play. He is an electric receiver, and the more opportunities they get to get the ball in his hands, the better off you're going to be. And uh, I think that's definitely something that if ETSU can incorporate that more in the second half of the season, you don't even have to do it that much. You only have to do it three or four times a game, and if it works twice, you probably score two touchdowns out of it as a result. Either maybe one goes in and one sets you up in the red zone and you punch that in. Maybe they both go in. It doesn't matter. You're going to get opportunities to score off that deep pass game. You know you have the personnel to execute it, and now I think you're in a position where everybody's comfortable enough with what they're being asked to do that you can let that rip, and you're going to need to let it rip against Chattanooga if you want to beat a team that probably has a little bit of a chip on its shoulder after the way they got folded up by Illinois. Well, before we transition fully into the Chattanooga talk, uh, and, and we're going to do a full breakdown on Thursday. We're going to break that bad boy down and uh, have a bunch of different um, position groups. We'll be talking about ETSU, Chattanooga, pros, cons, uh, You know where we think ETSU has an advantage, where we think maybe Chat has an advantage. I think it's important the last couple mm-hmm. games – that you've seen Anaj Carter be able to make plays. Mm-hmm. I think getting Cam Lewis as second stint at ETSU and Tyler Rydell kind of trusting him last game of four catches, but also one of the first throws, he, he you know, one-on-one coverage down the sideline, just missed him, uh, Cam Lewis, by a little bit. But then also being able to use a little bit of the tight ends because right now, as we saw Robert Morris, you know, bracket coverage on Will Huzzy. Then for mm-hmm. a while, it was bracket coverage on Will Huzzy and Anaj Carter. Well, you I'm not a real smart man, but if you have lots of options and Tyler Rydell is smart enough to know, well, if he's bracketed and he's bracketed, then I've got still Cam Lewis. Yep. I've still got a tight end, whether it's Noah West or Jalen Frierson. And I probably have a light box if I need to tuck it and run. 
And, and that's something he's added the last couple weeks that he's not necessarily done a lot of. But if he has seen an opportunity to make plays with his legs and get a first down that way, he's been able to do that. And mm-hmm. I think Coach Coral said out on the coach show, there's nothing more frustrating than you have great coverage down the field. You've got pressure of the quarterback where you should probably get to him, and all of a sudden he escapes the pocket somehow, picks up a first down. It's just demoralizing uh, to a defense. I said to a broadcaster, well, because, you know, when, when I call that, it's demoralizing for me. I break a lot of pencils still. So that's um, uh, that's something I th- to look out for because I feel like – and then I didn't even mention Isaiah Wilson, uh, almost yada yada Isaiah Wilson who's had big play capability in his career at ETSU. So there's a lot of guys – that Tyler Rydell, Coach Nugelbauer have at their disposal to make plays. Jacob Saylor's ninth 100-yard rushing game, 170 yards, third most, and he only played a half, was the mm-hmm. third most rushing yards uh, in a game in a career for him. Three touchdowns. I know he was upset he didn't get the uh, the fourth one as uh, Bryson Irby was able to punch it in towards the end. But I also point out that Quay Holmes a lot of times had long runs where they took Quay out and Jacob was able to punch it in. So, kind of pay it forward but still uh jacob's a good teammate he talked about how happy he was for bryson afterwards Mm -hmm. the big difference in week one and week four special teams made plays Mm -hmm. defense turned the football over but the key is when a play was to be made offense defense special teams they made plays you look at the citadel offense didn't make plays defense had a couple chances at turnovers didn't come up with it special teams gave up the punt return then you go the next week to Furman. ETSU again, almost two interceptions. Chris Hope in and out of his hands. Timmy Dorsey, and I'm not blaming Chris Hope or Timmy Dorsey. Both those guys were phenomenal in that game. Both those guys played great. You know, if they catch those, who knows? Same token, offense had chances to make plays. Mm -hmm. Did not make plays. They didn't block particularly well. Tyler Rydell missed some reads there. Tyler Rydell also ran for his life on a few plays. Jacob Saylor's in particular get going in the second half. So there's and Jacob Saylor's, who's a great blocker and has been given many credit, missed a block that led to a sack one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's supposed to pick up the backside blitzer. So that being said, you make plays, you win games. I, I know this is not earth shattering, but I think it boils down to right now for ETSU, if plays need to be made, mm-hmm. the two games they've made plays, and I'm not talking 15, 20, four or five little plays here or there, that has swung them games last year. And right now, the two games they made plays, they won. I'll also say this. They probably should have won those games. Mm-hmm. Citadel probably should have won that game, did not. Furman is better than I think what people thought they were coming in this season with Huff. Now, we're going to get into the SOCOM breakdown in a minute, and Huff is injured. And we'll talk about maybe what that's going to be for the Furman Paladins. But for ETSU, overall, good solid win. The defense is dominant again. The only points they gave up. Uh, really was a long field goal, 40, what was that, 46, 48? What am I missing? 40, sorry, 39-yard field goal. Okay. Uh, but really was helped out by a 15-yard penalty mm-hmm. uh, that moved the ball into scoring position. The other two times they were in scoring position, never got in the red zone. Robert Morris never yep. got in the red zone. But Robert Morris, the other two times they got in scoring position, Davion Hood with a sack and then Davion Hood with a strip sack that forced a fumble, turned it over for ETSU. So the defense for Billy Taylor, and that is the one constant out of last year. Yep. You get Billy it's Taylor, really and the one thing we know he can do is uh, figure out a way to put his players in the right position to make plays. And when you're talking about things like generating more takeaways, those are focus and execution from guys on the field. And there are situations where you need players to take ownership of what they are doing and not doing on a football field in order for the team to reach its full potential. Joe Schreiber talked about this on Monday with the media, said guys have started to take ownership of what their role is in this offense, in this defense, as part of the special teams unit. And that's not something that happens right away. You know, there are a lot of programs where it does, right? There are a lot of programs where it it happens right away. You're on campus as a true freshman. You are, accountability gets pounded into you from day one by an established culture, by an established coaching staff, by an established player base, leadership base. ETSU doesn't necessarily have all of those things all at the same time, at least didn't this year. And so that can, again, that's something that can take some time. And yeah, they've they've maybe fallen into some potholes on the way to 
getting to where they want to be. But I think they are a lot closer to where they want to be now than they were four weeks ago. And hearing the players talk, hearing Joe Schreiber talk, hearing Steven Scott talk, hearing what you're talking about with uh, Sailors and Rydell, it just seems like this group has a better understanding of what they need to do and what level they need to be at to make this whole operation work and meet the expectations that have been laid upon them. Because, Jay, I think you'll agree with this. This this is probably the highest set of expectations that ETSU football has ever had. I don't I don't even know that. I mean, last year, they were fantastic. I don't know that everybody necessarily expected them to do what they did and win the SOCON the way they did and then go to the quarterfinals. Uh, I think this is the group that, with so many pieces coming back, had such high expectations, and you've got you to learn what it means to meet that level of expectations, and you can't do that except by stepping in a pothole. You can't do that except by failing and understanding this was not good enough. I have to go one step beyond what I have been doing because this is the only way that we're going to be where we want to be. I think ETSU and I said this at the beginning of the season, in football, have always been better at hunting than being hunted. Sure. And I think that comes with, in 88 years of football history, the expectations of ETSU football, they've had good teams. Clearly, you look at 69, 96, 18, but Mm -hmm. they're a handful. You know, it's not, you know – Basketball, and I'm not trying to start a war between who's better at ETSU basketball or football, but you look at the last 25 years, there's 11 trips to the NCAA tournament in basketball, and it's kind of their thing. Football, and now it took a 12-year hiatus too, but football is starting to get that reputation, and I think that's a slow build. The big thing is ETSU 2018 really came out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. had a share of the, the, the championship, got to the playoffs, you know, a fumble at the one-yard line, you know, ended the, the Jacksonville State game, unfortunately, for ETSU in 18. 19, a ton of injuries, six different quarterbacks took snaps. I mean, it was everything that could go wrong did as opposed yep. to 2018 where everything went right. Then you have the COVID year, and you're right there. Didn't you last year the championship in the fall? Now people are looking at you, expecting you to get back. Because even 18, when it went 2019, they weren't picked to win it. I mean, they weren't second – third i think they were third that year they were picked so yeah. uh they still weren't really that high this year they were second but mm-hmm. still chattanooga were, was and, the overwhelming thing but yeah. there were people were going lock it'll be etsu chat maybe mercer gets in the mix it'll be a three horse race two of the teams are going to be guaranteed maybe the third one's good enough to get mm-hmm. in but etsu and chat are kind of the cream of the crop mercer's there not i'm not knocking mercer because they had a lot coming back and look good so far this year yes but that was sort of the thought process and then etsu drops a couple and now all of a sudden Furman's undefeated sanford's undefeated they look better mercer's looked the part chat in fcs games has looked the part mm-hmm. etsu has not and so i'm wondering if etsu now that they've taken the step back and start turning into the hunting again as opposed to being hunted, I'm wondering how that will change the mentality. And obviously, it would start with a what would be a huge win on Saturday if you were able to get that at home. And this is not over for ETSU. You lose those first two games. You lose to the Citadel. And, I mean, call it what it is. The, the Citadel's not good this year. I watched that team against Mercer, and they just they didn't look like they had the the – the, the zip, the energy of a team that had won a game they did not expect to win the previous week. They didn't have it. I just don't think they're they're there uh, this season. And you loot, you go on the road, you don't play well, you turn the ball over in the red zone on downs, you turn the ball over on, in the red zone on an interception, you, make, you leave points, too many points on the field, and you lose that game as time expires. And that one stings a little bit. That's a missed opportunity for ETSU. And but you can and the thing is in the SOCON, that happens a lot. Because these teams are not that far apart. There are gonna be days where somebody doesn't bring their best. At some point, you would not be faulted for saying at some point Chattanooga is gonna lay an egg in the SOCON. At some point, Mercer, which they haven't looked like it yet. They haven't. They, that's a team that doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. They look like Drew Chronic's got them polished to a shine. But at some point, there's a very real possibility that Mercer lays an egg and they lose to 
a team that they don't expect to lose to. Maybe it's the Citadel. Maybe it's maybe it's Wofford. Maybe Wofford sneaks up and beats somebody in this conference. And you look at that and you go, oh man, that's not where you want to be. And those are the games that are going to open the door if you can get right. ETSU has already exhausted its margin for error in the SOCON. I don't think you can lose three games in the SOCON and have a shot at the title. I think losing three games in the SOCON and having a shot at the playoffs, even though it's a much thinner bubble this year, and I'm very confident that at least two teams from this league are going to get in to the playoffs this season, I don't know that five and three in the SOCON is going to make that happen either. Um, But if you get it turned around and you beat Chattanooga and you start rolling, if you're ETSU, uh, and you go 6-2 and two in the SOCON, maybe you finish second, maybe you finish in a three-way tie for second, maybe you finish in a three-way tie for the title. Uh, there is still a possibility that this thing is going to open back up for them. they got to start winning games, right? You can't just, you can't float on. It's, a, you know, it's not Modest Mouse. We're not all floating on all right here. You have to grind, and you have to climb your way back to the top. You have to be the hunter, like you're talking about. If you do that, it's still there for you. The the goals that you had for this season to be relevant in the SoCon race, to be in the postseason, those goals are still there. And we've seen glimpses of the team that is going to meet those goals. they got to put it all together this week. And, and I think... Robert Morrison, you used this term, and I think it might have been it might have been Kevin Tiggs back in the day who called it a get-right game. ETSU played a get-right game against Robert Morris this past week, and I think in a lot of ways they've gotten right over the last seven days. Yeah, ETSU 45-3 victory, 45 straight points before they gave up a field goal. The 42 points was the most uh, points in the first half scored since football. Uh, has been back. It's not the most points ever, though, in the first half. That was against Chattanooga, 48 of their 68 unanswered <laughs> against the Mock. School record, 68 points and a 68-7 win. Chattanooga scored first November 15th, 2003, and then ETSU 68 in a row, 48 in the first half, en route to the lambasting of the Mocks, which I enjoy. Hashtag beat chat. Yeah, can't wait. All right, uh, let's talk a little Southern Conference and uh, Top 25. All right, let's talk Southern Conference Top 25 action. We'll start with SoCon. Going to be a little better on the defensive line, but Brett Bielema, that's his bread and butter, right? O line, he's turned out a bunch of stuff, rather, it's uh, mainly Wisconsin, and he wasn't quite as successful at Arkansas. Uh, so I, I don't look as I usually don't. I don't look too much into this 31 nothing Illinois because that has zero effect on what's going to happen. Uh, uh, ETSU Chattanooga this Saturday. Now, if Chad had four or five injuries going into it, certainly that would be something. If Chad hung in there about three or four points, maybe we could talk about something, but. I don't know that I took anything away. I watched some of that. I've watched their other three games. I took nothing from this. The only thing that would worry me is that this is a this is a pretty okay-ish Big Ten team. Um, I would have expected Chattanooga to score some points. I, I think the the get, them getting shut out is the only thing I look at and go, okay, okay, this is this is supposed to be the best team in the SoCon. Uh, and I think it is the best team in the SoCon in terms of you know what they've done and the way they've worked together so far this year. Um, and they got blanked by a mid-level Big Ten team. Now, it doesn't really matter for the SoCon title race. It doesn't mean a thing. But also, when you're looking for at, at new no, no. ground, a chance to make an impression nationally for the conference. And Chattanooga put up a fight against Kentucky last year, did some good things. Um, this game stings a little bit from that perspective of you had a chance to make a splash and you missed it. Where do you fall on Devontae Maxwell still having two sacks in that game? Uh, just Because I still think they usually don't have a – the defense player of the year generally is not a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. 
in almost every league. Uh, it's, it's not, for the most part. Usually it's a linebacker because they get all the tackles. That's normally who it, and that's who it was in Sunkhouse. And that, that's correct. They, they kind of like quarterback. They have more chances to do things. Rather, mm-hmm. they have chances in pass coverage to make plays and the run game. They can get some sacks. But that's the guy that blew up a lot of the plays last year against ETSU. Mm-hmm. He's blowing up plays against everybody, no matter who it's been. Having him two sacks, that was the – one stat. The other stat was the fact that Alim Ford had 18 carries for, I think it was 90. I'm going to double check here so I don't misspeak. 92 yards. So yeah, he, he was good. Aver- he averaged five yards a carry. The two turnovers on the interceptions, uh, and one was not good. One, one, mm-hmm. one was, I don't know what, uh, impressed Hutchinson, who has been very good. And he's had a couple bad break interceptions. This was not a bad, one of those not bad break interceptions. It was just a bad read, a bad throw, bad something. Yeah, I don't know how much Hutchinson has been asked to do yet at Chattanooga. Um, but Ford is Ford is a tough running back to to get a re- I feel like he's somebody that if the hole is where it's supposed to be, he's going to really hurt you. And if it's not, then it's you if it's one-on-one, you versus him in the hole and you bring a little bit more than he I mean if it's a straight fight, you can win against him. A lot of teams don't, but you can win against him in a, in a one-on-one in the hole. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ford is, is nobody's done it yet. Nobody's done that yet against him. Uh, but the SoCon defensive player of the year is probably going to be a dev- defensive lineman this year. I would agree with that. I, I, it'd be shocked. I, I will, I, I will be, throw a fit. A massive upset. Uh, I'll say this Furman, uh, I'll, Tyler Huff got hurt. He, I don't think it was the same thing, but I know he left the game after he tried to run over a couple of Buccaneer defenders on that third and four near midfield with about four minutes to go in the game. And his left shoulder was down. Hurts his left elbow. Mm-hmm. Jace Wilson, who was last year's starter, who, you know, was okay, but clearly they brought in a quarterback to replace him. He stayed ready. Mm-hmm. A couple of touchdown runs and a touchdown pass. Down 19-10, he hits Ryan Miller with about a minute to go in the third, give or take. And then he scrambles, a busted play, scrambles, gets about a 20, 20, 22-yard touchdown scamper to give them the eventual win, 24-19 Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern had not been particularly great. Yep. But where do you go with this with Furman? Because Huff had a rough game, then was got rough before the injury, then he got knocked out because of the injury. I believe I read it was an elbow on his non-throwing uh, arm, so his left elbow. But Jace Wilson comes in and kind of really out of nowhere, uh, you know, makes plays. He's always been able to make plays with his feet, but the throw he made to Ron Miller was a good one. Of course, Ron Miller's one of the best tight ends in America. I, I laugh because he's a wide receiver playing tight end, but mm-hmm. still uh, at the tight end <laughs> position that they line him up at, uh, that's where he's at, and they're able to find him again. But Furman managed to win, and that's the important thing for the Furman Paladins, uh, another FCSW. That's really all it is. You you had your back against the wall. Your starting quarterback was injured. You found a way to to win that game that's really that that's all that matters to me because if you if you win that game given that context it only matters that you win it it doesn't matter how you win it you don't need to beat the brakes off of chuck south to put yourself in a position to be in at large team but if you lose that game yeah the committee takes a dim view of that but the the real test for them we're going to find out how good this Furman team is this week with Samford coming to Greenville. All right, well, let's talk about Samford. A big win, 35-12 against Western Carolina. Now, this is the, the one of those stats lie to you. If you just said, or I just said, Keith, Western Carolina had over 500 yards of offense or right at it, you go, well, they're probably in the game. Yeah. Okay, they lost 35-12. They, had, they kicked four field goals and <laughs> four field goals. <laughs> And 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 they turned it over twice uh, in the red zone uh, on interceptions. One of them was a one of them was a wide receiver diving, and the ball kind of got popped up in the air, and then off a leg, and then it's just hanging and floating, and a guy from across the field comes and intercepts it. So I mean, some of it's a bad break, and it happens. But Western had no issues really getting up and down the field, but they don't give you points for yards. I mean, Carlos Davis threw for three hundred and one, had the couple picks. Still, Michael Hires, who continues to do Sanford things because that's what they do. 24-30, 292. He throws for four touchdowns, though. You're down 21-6 with three minutes to go in the third quarter. You're in the red zone. You're at like the 13-14 yard line, and you send out the field goal unit? 
You are you have conceded the game at that point. D- that actually doesn't even seem like Kerwin Bell would do that. <laughs> it seems like, no, that it seems like like it's just something something was amiss there. I, I just you you can't you you're you're not gonna win that game with field goals. Nobody, unless it literally is the point that puts you over the top at triple zeros. People do not win games with field goals. Teams don't win games with field goals. Go for it. Be aggressive. That's what you built that whole identity of that team around. So, yeah, open up the throttle and get after it. Kurt Signetti did the same thing in the second quarter of the national championship game in 2020, and it cost his team the title. It didn't cost them the title right then and there, but it cost them the title by the end of the game because they had to drive to go for two and, and tie the game at the end. Because they didn't go for it when they were in the red zone. They had fourth and three at the seven. And they didn't go for it. They kicked the field goal. And by the end of the game, they needed those four points. If they had those four points, you got a shot to win the game. You win the game with a touchdown. You don't need to go for two. You don't need to do any of that. And of course, none of it mattered because James Hendricks picked off Ben DiNucci at the goal line anyway as time expired. But you play to win that game. Go down there and win. You don't win with field goals. Hello. Hello. That drives me nuts. You play to win the game. Anyway, uh, yeah. I like I like, I like when Keith Bray gets fired up. Um, God. I can't wait to start breaking down games next week because it's almost all league play. Let's talk about Mercer uh, just for a second because they did what they probably were supposed to do. And yes. I, Gardner-Webb had hung tough Coastal Carolina. They had hung tough uh, Elon, mm-hmm. but in the end weren't able to pull them out. Thought, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Uh, correct, because they're not even good in this one. But Mercer jumped out to a 21-0 lead and then really did not look back. It was 45-14, three touchdowns for Fred Payton mm-hmm. on, uh, again, the style offense they play, 187 yards, right? They run that all that smoke and mirror and, and wing tee type principles and guys in motion and faking handoffs and pitches and everything going every which way, and then all of a sudden they throw one over the top. Uh, Devron Harper, three touchdowns, He's right? Good. Yeah, and he wasn't even projected to be the starter. He's really, really good. He might be an All-American. Like, he's that good. His speed in space, and they scheme him into space, and they block it really well. It's a team that just is so sure of itself. I don't think Mercer is the most talented team 1 through 22 in the SoCon, but they are probably the most confident team in the SoCon. And it shows they don't make mistakes with the football. They still they'll have a play or two here or there on special teams where they need to clean some stuff up. But they do not make mistakes. Fred Payton has yet to throw an interception four games into the season. Now, he doesn't necessarily push the ball down the field a ton, but you still like there's still opportunities for a ball to pinball around, or you know, we talk about the bad break interceptions that a lot of teams end up with. There's still opportunities for that, and he's avoided even that. Mercer is Mercer's good. I I'm I'm very confident after a shutout and a blowout, Mercer is what we thought Mercer was going to be, and maybe a tad more. Let me tell you who's not. Uh, I, let me tell you who is who I thought they were. That's the winless. Well, you got to talk about Terriers. Wofford. Of course, talk about Wofford. I, and, and let me say this: I was yelling at Josh Conklin to pull this thing off because they, they – I turned it off in the first quarter after Jimmy Warwick threw the 78-yard interception turn for a touchdown. So I did not – I have to admit, I, I did not – I was going to watch – I had planned on the bus ride home while everybody's watching Tennessee, Florida in the second half. I was planning on watching Wofford, Kennesaw State because I'm the weird person that wants to watch Wofford, Kennesaw State and could care less about Tennessee, Florida. So the interception turn for a touchdown into the first quarter mm-hmm. is when I turned it off. Markeith Montgomery – Pretty nice play. wasn't particularly a bad throw by by Wyrick, but just a, a broke on the ball. You know, just an athletic play, right? It happens. Yep. And then it was an out route. He caught it and they ran uh, outran everybody. Seven eight yard touchdown. So it's fourteen six. Then it was fourteen nine at halftime. So mid third quarter, I thought, well, I'm going to tune back in. So mid third quarter, I tune in. Kennesaw State scores, and I, I'll be honest, uh, I thought, okay, here we go. It's twenty one nine. 
no shot anything going on. Then it's 24-9. I'm going, okay, no shot. And then all of a sudden, here comes the air attack of Jimmy Wyrick, who threw for 358 yards, baby. <laughs> Jimmy Wyrick and the Wofford. It rolls off the tongue. Wofford, 35 yards rushing on 27 carries. This is the Wofford you grew up on, right? 358 yards by Jimmy Wyrick, and he was throwing BBs at people. And they could not. Kennesaw State just could not seem to figure out where Landon Parker was. In the second half. I definitely think there is a weakness with that Kennesaw team, and that weakness is the secondary. We saw that with Samford, and it's whether it's just trying to, you know, cover guys in space, it's pursuit, it's one-on-one. They don't tackle. Yeah. I mean, they don't get guys on the ground. Yeah. We saw it in a playoff game. There were, you know, again, even though I wear blue and gold goggles, there's no way Quay Holmes should have broken those three tackles and gotten in the end zone the first one. There's no excuse some defensive back that is on scholarship that is at the FCS level can't attempt to get somebody down. I mean, it was I've never seen more olays mm-hmm. from a secondary. And I and it's, and again, I got everybody at Kansas State apparently because of the ESPN broadcast they couldn't uh, put the neutral call on, so they had to listen to my call. So oh, I got a lot no. of people all hot and bothered in the box over, but. You go back and watch previous games against Kansas State. You watch the Sanford game. You watch the – who do play FBS? Whoever it was, the FBS game. You watch this game. The secondary does not like to tackle. They're not physical. They, they cover well, mm-hmm. right? They're athletic. They like to do it, but they don't like to get guys on the ground. But Landon Parker, uh, phenomenal. Six catches, 155 yards. Seemed to be running free in the second half. Uh, I think he had maybe one catch in the first half. But he was running free. He was able um, – to get them down the field, able to get a score. And then the fourth quarter, they get the hold. They had to use all their timeouts. They get the ball back. And this is where I'm kind of yelling at Conklin because this is, again, something that I think they should be practicing because they want to throw the ball. They don't do whatever. But they pick up after a fourth and three, a huge first down. They spike it. Cool with that. Then they get another play and 28 seconds run off the clock before they snap it again. And I'm like, what are we doing? I am screaming, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball. I'm pounding the table down. I'm so fired up about it. They get to a third and 10 at the 49-yard line. They're not going to attempt the old 68-yard field goal that's not going to go in like Furman tried at West Carolina a few years ago. <laughs> Actually, it was last year. I think they tried a 64-yarder for no reason, and it landed 53 yards. But Why would you? Well, I, you have to ask Furman that. That's a Furman question. Uh, so – Jimmy Wyrick, I'm thinking, you know what? He's shown some good arm. He's at whatever. He can probably scramble around a little bit, chunk one down the field. Kennesaw State's only going to bring three, maybe four. And they do. And they sack Jimmy Wyrick in the game. And I'm I'm completely beside myself because I got emotionally invested in the Wofford. Yes, I'm going to say this on air. I got emotionally invested for the Wofford Terriers to win. That's a you problem. It is. Over Kennesaw State, though, which every Buck fan hates Kennesaw State, so that's fine. But <laughs> – I'm just saying, I was in there yelling, and I just couldn't believe it. And that being said, Wofford, for the first time, has maybe shown a sign of life that they could win a game this year because I didn't think they were going to win a game. Your haterade for Kennesaw State overruled your good sense. True. True. That's what it was. That's true. That's, That's true. what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. Because, I mean, normally we're talking about the toothless terriers, and, and I'm you know giving them the business uh, and letting Josh Conklin know. Well, I, 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 say, I say this. I said this, you know, I was glad that they got the touchdown at the end of the Virginia Tech game. They were not going to win that game. They were never going to win that game. They got a touchdown late. It broke a, uh, what was it? It was a 11-quarter scoring drought to start the year. Yes, 11 quarters. 11-quarter scoring drought. If you are in an 11-quarter scoring drought, what is your motivation to play more football? Why don't like why would you want to go out there and play more football and play hard and put your body on the line and risk the injury? It would be so easy to quit. And they haven't quit. Like they've kept playing, they've kept fighting for it. Now are they good? No. Are they going to make the playoffs? Absolutely not. Uh but they haven't they don't they don't they haven't just rolled over and played dead. They're actually trying to play football honestly and with pride and I think that's commendable you know I talked to Josh Conklin right after he got the job in 18 and he struck me as somebody who is in it for the right reasons who is enthusiastic about 
developing the kids and developing building a program. I think he maybe um, got a little too enthusiastic early on with maybe trying to reshape that offensive identity and um, push things a little farther than they were ready to go back in you know 2019 and 2020. Um, and he's paying for it a little bit. But I also think that this is a team that is not going to roll over and, and just go away. I think you're going to have to show up and beat Wofford this year, even though I think most teams are capable of it. Most teams will probably do it. You're still going to have to show up and beat Wofford when you play them. And the one thing, normally we get up on Wofford, there's no sign of life. So for the Terriers, I will say this, 24-9, fourth quarter, mm-hmm. come back, score a couple times, even use all your timeouts, get the ball back with a chance to possibly uh, kick a game-winning field goal or at least get a Hail Mary off to win the yep. game, yep. that's got to be an encouraging sign. Uh, I would have to imagine because normally they get up 24-9 or down 24-9. For, that's it. it. It usually steamrolls to a 42-9 mm-hmm. game. And so I'm giving Wofford credit. I try to be honest on the on the podcast, even if I don't like certain things. I'm at least going to try to be honest with the you. The will I to compete good, is there. I, I thought it was watching Jimmy Warwick and Landon Parker go to work in the fourth quarter was uh, impressive at times. Yeah, I, um, I respect that. I respect that because but, I would, I would not want to give it everything I had in that situation. I would not care enough. It's like, what's the what's the use? I would be warily just beaten down and resigned to futility at that point. And they were not, and I respect that from them. A lot of games across FCS we could probably cover. I'm just going to probably pick out four sure. or five. Let's cherry pick a few. There were a couple big games in the old uh, Missouri Valley, mm-hmm. uh, North Dakota State on the road at South Dakota. Tight game first half, and then North Dakota State does what they do, a 17-point victory. USD scored a couple bang-bang touchdowns there at the end. Uh, NDSU made some uncharacteristic mistakes, uh, penalties, turnovers, but they still want they pl- they did not play well and certainly not as well as they expect to play and they won by 17 on the road in conference against a good USD team, or at the very least a competent USD team. Um, I, I that's They're fine. A lot of people picking Bobby Petrino after the game he had against Arkansas to maybe hold serve at home against South Dakota State, but not so fast as old Lee Corsa would say, 28-14 for the Jackrabbits. Some folks were wondering if he might be in line for like FBS jobs. Georgia Tech, Arizona State. People haven't learned their lesson. Nah, Keep, uh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no. Well, uh, brace yourselves because I don't think that's going to happen. Um, also, it's also, South Dakota State was a little slow out of the gate this year. They weren't necessarily just, you know, perfect every single week. They, they still don't have Tucker Craft, who's the best tight end in FCS football. He's hurt. Um, Isaiah Davis stepped up. And the big thing for them, was the play of Mark Gronowski, 22-29 for 319 and four TDs. Uh, like Gronowski is that dude. He took SDSU to the national championship game for the first time as a Division One program. They lost to Sam Houston, but he took them there. And they got there. Like They didn't get there because of Pierre Strong Jr., who's a really, really good running back. They didn't get there because they had really, really good wide receivers like Kate Johnson. They got there because Gronowski was the straw that stirred the drink. And he could do everything that that team needed him to do to win them football games. And if he is back to who he needs to be, South Dakota State's going to be in the mix at the end of the year. And Missouri State, I still got too many question marks about their O-line. Jason Shelley's the real deal. He's a great quarterback. Um, but he just he's having to run so much. He's having to run as opposed to getting to run because his offensive line can't protect him long enough. That was an issue for them last year against North Dakota State. It was an issue for them last year against UT Martin. It was an issue for them this year against UT Martin. They got problems. Um, I, I think they're still going to be they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be good. I don't know that they're going to be great like some folks thought they might be. Big win, Elon on the road at Bill & Mary, 35-31. Austin P. I I thought a shocker uh, beating Eastern Kentucky, 31-20. Yeah. Let's go out west again, though. Montana State, 38 at Eastern Washington, 35. And, again, that was a nip-and-tuck game that was probably the odds makers probably had a field goal one way or another. Tight ball game, but – the Bobcats coming out victorious. Yeah, uh, big injury to Tommy Malott, the quarterback for Montana State. Touchdown Tommy, let him on the playoff run last year that took them to Frisco and then got knocked out on the opening drive of the national title game 
uh, with an ankle injury. He rehabbed that injury all throughout the offseason, got hurt against Eastern Washington, and um, UC Day. he's already been ruled out for their next game uh, against UC Davis. Let's talk so, about Sac State real quick. Oh, man, Troy Taylor's done it. I mean, a 31-point win at Colorado State. Troy Taylor is on some radars. And if he's not, he better Ooh. be. Because that guy can coach offensive football as well as anybody in the country right now. I mean, he was a Bo Baldwin protege at Eastern Washington, right? And he was there for a long time. He was the quarterback's coach. I think he went with him to Cali, bounced around a little bit after that. But he, when he landed at Sac State, you're like, this isn't really a program that's ever been anything. And what does he do? Immediate success. They start winning. They go to the second round. They host a playoff. They're seeded for the first time ever. Now, they laid an egg against Austin P in that game. But you saw that there is the makings of something that's going to be really, really special. And I think we are seeing the next iteration and the next evolution of that vision from, from Troy Taylor and his staff. Weber State uh, wins at UC Davis. Um it's kind of a toss-up UC Davis, so some big question marks. I know Brian McLaughlin's got some strong, strong opinions on B- UC B-Mac Davis. BMAC is a big fan. I'm a big – I mean, how do you not love Dan Hawkins, their head coach at UC Davis? I mean, it's it's Division One football, right? It's, <laughs> I, 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 I love Hawk. Great guy. Perfect leader for that program. Um, they've had a couple of really tight games that have not gone their way. It was a one-score game at South Dakota State. One score game against Weaver State. They're in a hole right now. They got to get out of the hole, but I think they are pretty good. And Weaver State is really good. Weaver State, I mean, they smacked around was Utah State earlier this yes. year. Um, that team kind of felt like took a step backwards last season, especially offensively, as they tried to find out who their quarterback's going to be. Seems like they've settled on Bronson Barron, maybe at, at QB, and uh, they've they've built an, a, a scheme around him. And that's going to help them a lot. Because the issue with with that program has always been quarterback. Think about the deep playoff runs they made. They made a deep playoff run. They went to the quarterfinals against Maine in uh, 18. And you thought, oh, this team is is an excellent team. This is a really good team. And they got smoked by Maine because... They didn't have the O-line to protect Jake Constantine. And Jake Constantine just couldn't push the ball down the field. They didn't have to respect the deep pass. They could pin their ears back, load the box with bodies, and just fly into the backfield. Every single play. And Weber couldn't move the ball. Now I think they've got that threat, that threat of pushing the ball down the field in the pass game, in the intermediate and deep pass game. Weber State's going to be fun. Big Sky's going to be really interesting this year. Two things did you see. One, the end of, we call him Sella on the broadcast here, Southeast Louisiana, oh. Incarnate Word. Did you see the end of that? Or at least see the replay of that? Oh, yes, I did. I did. What an unbelievable Backup ending. quarterback leads him on a, what was it, four-play, 17-second touchdown drive? A 59-yarder to cap it off. <laughs> Some, just to, to watch the drives incredible, but even the last play, you're like, oh, geez, because you could kind of see it, guy slips, and you're like, oh, they're not going to catch oh, no. him. And it's just... So, tough way for Incarnate Word to lose a – they actually don't have to kick the extra point because the touchdown happens right as time expires. It's, it's not quite the Minnesota playoff game. It's not the Minneapolis Miracle. No, it's not quite that. It's, but not, it's, it's not quite uh, – it's not, it's not quite uh, hysteria. Hammond hysteria. There you go. Yeah. But the other game, Stephen F. Austin. <laughs> they play Warner, a team that ETSU beat in 2015 to restart football. 98 to nothing, but that's not what I wanted to ask you. They go for two because I had I just went to the box score and like ninety eight. How do we get here? So I go there and then I happen to see that the two point attempt failed, which led me down a rabbit hole of a going on Twitter and going. You went I'm, you it, went down a rabbit hole. Of course you did. I did from, from it, this. Yes, because I needed to know a lot of things. I still don't have an answer. So they line up for two because I read you know and it failed. They take a knee. If you go ahead and score 98 points on somebody uh, and you're embarrassing them on purpose to put 98 on the board uh, 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 and then you have this sense of like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call off the dogs here and take a knee. <laughs> so that, I don't get to 100. What are we doing? one moment. The, the first 
moment of Colby Carthel's tenure at Stephen F. Austin that I thought that, that he backed down from something. I was like, if you're going to do that, commit to it. Go all the way. It's what everybody <laughs> what? wants you to what? do. Everyone wants you. The other team probably wants you to go ahead and do it because then they can say they were part of a 100-point college football game. I mean, I, I get they actually had defensive backs taking the snap and running for touchdowns. So he's trying to do something not to let somebody score. I get, I get all that. But that's the time you choose to take it. You could actually take a knee. This happened uh, many years ago. I think it was Arkansas in an FBS versus mm-hmm. FCS, and they were up 77-whatever. Yeah. And the last four drives of the game, they literally took a knee three times and punted. They didn't even run a play. That's the only time I've seen it. Now, I'm not suggesting you necessarily have to do that, but why are you having a moment of consciousness where it's like, you know what, we, we don't need to get 100? Or why don't you just kick the extra point stay at 99? Yeah. Why, why not just say, what's kick the extra point stay at 99? Unless somebody came over the headset and said, if we do this, there's going to be like some sort of consequence. I was like, wow. okay, well, we better not do it. Okay. Uh, but but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I mean, do it anyway. What are they going to do to you? You're the head football coach at a, a mid-sized public school in Texas. They're not going to do anything to you for scoring 100 points in a game. And if you're going to play a team that offers you no resistance, because who, who was it they played? This Warner. One? Warner. NAI Warner. Yeah. They played Warner. Warner clearly had nothing for them. Like you said, they had defensive backs taking snaps and scoring. If you're going to play that team, and you're, you've got the opportunity to score 100, and you're not going to take it, why not take advantage of that game? But also schedule teams that challenge you because uh, the selection committee will look at that. Whether they say it, whether they say it not, it, it does, but they won't look at it because they can't, right? It doesn't inform their opinion. It doesn't count on the resume for your team. But at the same time, there is always going to be that inherent in the back of your mind. They played a non-counter. They have one less data point than everybody else. So play teams that challenge you. Uh, and if you're not going to play teams that challenge you, then do something memorable with the teams that offer you no challenge. All right, that's going to do it for podcast one. Uh, we're going to sure. work, we're going to work on bumpers. Uh, we're going to work on name. We're going to work on graphics. Going to work on a few other things. But I will say, we're going to be back here Thursday, uh, whether we have all that or not. Uh, it's going to be a work in progress. We're, we're going we're to work on names. We're yep. going to work on imaging. Yep. And we hope you will like us. Or Keith, I, you like me already. So that's okay. Uh, we will have Matt Wilgham. He did confirm he's going to come in studio, so we'll be able to pick the QB's brains on ETSU. Uh, chat or brain. I think he has one brain. I said brain, but brain, whatever. We'll pick his brain. We'll talk about schematic things, ETSU Chattanooga. Me and Keith give you our full thoughts on that. And we're going to break down Southern Conference action. We'll also take a look around top 25 college football. And uh, maybe we'll start sprinkling in some of our own different show ideas as well. Anyways, we're going to ease into the old Jay and Keith show or JK show. Buccaneers Sports Network. <laughs>